1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado.
2: The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own—strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry, Scoop. Corey
2: Perry. Well, you're able to shake away from Solano? It's given away to. This- All right, we are back almost a month from the date of our last show. Uh, yeah, we're a little behind, but you know, it's to be expected right now in the in the current situation with everything going on, especially since the ducks aren't really doing a whole lot. But they've been getting into the news, but before we get into the show, uh, obviously, Pat is not here. Jason is not here again. So Stephen is joining the show again. He's bailing us out again and coming on the show. Thanks for coming on, Stephen.
1: Happy to help, man. Just, uh, you know, had fun last
2: time. Glad to come back. Well, everybody loved it last time, and we got a lot more kind of interesting news to go over this time. And I guess we'll uh, we'll start with the big one. Uh, the Patrick Line rumors have kind of been around for a while, I think, since kind of the the offseason really started for the Winnipeg Jets, and they started heating up again. And uh, David Pagnota put out an article kind of just outlining free agency as a whole. And uh, Patrick Line's name came up in that article, and of course there was about I think seven teams that were linked with it and he passively mentioned that the Ducks were one of those teams interested in Patrick Laine. Uh, for me, it just it feels like deja vu from the Timu Solani trade. Like, we're going to go out and trade for the best Finnish sniper in the league again and uh, hopefully fleece the Winnipeg Jets for a second time.
1: Yeah, I think what's funny too is you know so much of the conversation around Winnipeg for, you know, I don't know, I guess technically it's like the last six months or something, but it's just been about how bad their defense is. So the idea of trading a defenseman again and probably a pick or two for a finished sniper in Winnipeg is just, like you said, it's just hilarious deja vu. Um, You know, I, I think we've heard, you know, to his credit, we've heard Bob Murray say for the last couple of years that one of the things the Ducks lack is high in finishing skill. And I think, you know, this is as good a way as any to, to go for it. Like, Line a might have the best shot in the league. You know, it's probably between him and like Austin Matthews. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I get why he's looking into it. I, I think I would be nervous about what the cost was. Um, That's the
2: thing, right? Like, I don't think I remember a time where like two high-profile young players have been supposedly on the market. I know the Eichel news has kind of cooled down a little bit, but, you know, you wrote an article on it about how the Ducks should be exploring a, a Jack Eichel trade, and, you know, the, apparently the Rangers got as far as, you know, the the Sabres putting an offer on the table for them. Apparently it was, you know, first overall, Zibinijad, Shusterkin, Keandre Miller, and a first next year. So it was just an, an astronomical offer. It was basically... The Sabres knew that, you know, Jeff Gordon was going to say no to that, and they just threw it on the table and said this is what it would take. But it got to that point where, you know, his name was being asked about, and, and you know, now obviously Patrick Laine kind of joins that discussion. It's an interesting spot to be in, you know, obviously with the way things are going in this, uh, this interesting season this year. But the fact that, like, two big young names are on the board, and Patrick Laine doesn't play for a Buffalo Sabres team. He plays for a team that was in competition that's been a competitive team for the last couple of years. So it's a an interesting spot for the Jets to kind of be in, to be shopping him. Yeah,
1: I think, well, the other thing is it's not just Patrick Liney, right? It's, it's Nikolai Ehler's name is in there too. And so I think what that tells you is that they know that they have significant forward depth. And, you know, like we, you know, I joked about it when it happened, but like, Lucas has signed a contract to join the AHL and he had to clear waivers. And before he cleared waivers, Winnipeg claimed him. So like he thought he was going to go get to live the life living in San Diego, uh, just playing AHL hockey and be having a good time. And then all of a sudden he gets picked up and now he's, you know, like the third or fourth defenseman in Winnipeg. Like they were just in such a bad way last year that the idea that they would the Line A one makes more sense to me because his contract's shorter and there's so much uncertainty around him. And, you know, there's been conversations about him. And if he's not scoring, what other what good is he other than that? And he can be a little streaky. So, like, that would make sense. The Ehlers one doesn't because they just signed him to a great contract. He's only making, like, $6 million a year. And, you know, I don't know why, especially with, you know, they've got Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, and uh, I think it's Kyle Connor. They've got good players. So, like, I understand the need to go out and get a defenseman, but I think they're kind of tipping their hand a little bit. Like, I would, if I was them, I would almost rather put their their pick in play. I think they pick at like 10. Yeah.
2: It would make sense. I mean, like, I understand trading from a position of strength. The Ducks did that with pretty much all their their young defensemen when they had them. Um, But it's a smart move by the Jets to at least explore it. Obviously, they didn't expect to lose. Dustin Bufflin and then obviously losing Jacob Truba and and now it's really Josh Morrissey trying to do everything by himself so there is a need there for the Jets and I, and I can understand why they'd be exploring that you know but like you said like the number 10 pick would have to be enticing enough for you to at least go out and get a top four defenseman like there are teams out there that I'm sure would be interested in that and and you know one of the reasons why the the line a situation is just interesting is because I think it's going to cost a lot for any team to go and get them like this is former second overall pick you know arguably one of the best young goal scorers in the league like when we're looking at packages for for Jack Eichel, I don't think it would be necessarily as much as as that you know what the the Sabres were asking for from the Rangers but it's got to be around that in terms of you know a high first round pick a good young top four defenseman another good prospect and maybe another pick first or second round from, from the upcoming 2021 draft. Like you would have to think that's where the discussion starts for a player like Patrick Line. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, the other thing I think, you know,
2: for me is, you know,
1: one of the reasons that like I wrote that article was because, you know, Frank Sarabali said that uh, Buffalo was working on a internal cap and, you know, they were only going to be spending about $70 million and, You know, so I don't know how, especially when I think they're spending $19 million between Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner. Like, I don't know how much else you can, how you're supposed to put a team together on that limited amount of cash. Like, because we just know it costs a lot of money now. You know, the thing about Winnipeg is they have $14 million in cap space. So they don't have to give up a player. Um, You know, they can... Like you said, like we like said, they can just use that 10 pick and see what it gets them. Like that'll definitely get them somebody, you know, there's a lot of teams who are looking to move guys out. You know, I mean, you got to think Carolina's in on it. I think we've heard that they're in on it. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I think uh, they've got like a couple of defensemen in Carolina they could definitely go after. I don't know that they would be able to get, say, Dougie Hamilton, but he's UFA next summer. So yeah. he would at least be available, you know.
2: Yeah, I think if you, if you're Winnipeg, it, it's maybe not so much that you're shopping Patrick Line as you're saying like, hey, like you know, Nick Aylers could be a twenty-five, thirty goal scorer. Kyle Connor is a thirty-plus goal scorer. Mike Mark Scheifele can can pot thirty-plus goals. Blake Wheeler probably could if he focused a bit more on scoring than than being the you know the number one facilitator on that team. Like they've got a lot of guys who can put the puck in the back of the net, and if you're sitting there and you know looking at Patrick Line and saying what does this guy provide other than goals that's why i think i think if you're in it if he's on a different team that is desperate for goal scoring i don't think this is a a conversation we're having but the fact that winnipeg is so stacked with talented forwards in that top 6 it becomes a discussion where you can move a player like patrick line and it, it really isn't because he hasn't been good or hasn't filled you know fulfilled the potential or has attitude problems it it, it really is the fact that the jets are just built so well up top that you can kind of explore moving a player like that. Whereas, you know, if he was on a team like Carolina or on Anaheim, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. You know, Patrick Lane wouldn't even be a guy you would consider moving at any point.
1: Right. Well, the other thing is, you know, the one thing I will say is that, you know, there have been reports over, I think, like the last year, year and a half, that he's kind of pretty pissed that he doesn't just get to play with Mark Shifley exclusively. Like Mark Shifley is an incredible passer. And, you know, for a guy who's just a pure trigger man, like, I get why you're just, like, you don't feel like you're being used to the best of your abilities if they're not putting you with, you know, maybe the best passer on the team. Um, so, you know, I, it's a weird situation. But like you said, like, there are a bunch of teams where if Patrick Laine's on the team, it's not even close to a conversation as far as, you know, somebody calling to get him. You know, he's only 22 years old. That's the other thing. Like, he's young. And he's already hit, you know, he's got 138 goals in 305 games. Like, and he's only 22. Like, the sky is the limit, especially as as we've seen over the last, you know, half decade or so that the scoring is going up. Like, the, you know, it may not be, you know, it's not going to be the 80s overnight. But, like, we're seeing guys' numbers start to rebound and get to a place that they were before the dead puck era. You know, guys are starting to get back to hitting 100 points, you know, there's a few guys a year now hitting 100 points. So having someone like Patrick in, he, and he's six foot five and he's 22 years old, and he got maybe the best shot in the draft. Like, I don't understand how he's available. You know, I mean, we've seen Alex Ovechkin make a career just standing on the faceoff dot and taking one-timers. Like, the ability to score is so valuable that the fact that, that he's even available speaks to, like you said, their depth up front and how just dire it is for them on the back end. Like, Connor Hellebuck stood in his head, and they still didn't have enough scoring to make it, you know, very far. Like, they weren't a great team, uh, you know, like wins and losses by this year. So, I, I don't know. It's – I think if somebody godfather offers them, they're going to give him up because they know he's going to – if he gets – just nothing but chances. Like, he's going to get to 50 goals again, and he's going to he's gonna be in for a huge payday. Like, he's not going to be less than $8 million.
2: No, yeah, he's definitely going to be in for kind of bag when that contract comes up for him. And obviously, the, the Jets have to look to the long-term future. Yeah, they have $14 million in cap space now, but once they start filling these holes and on defense and kind of looking to fill up the roster... It's going to evaporate pretty quickly once you start adding these guys in there. But for me, I think the interesting part of this whole thing is if Winnipeg doesn't move number ten or get you know an offer that they feel comfortable with in, in moving on from that, I think they'll look and see who's available there. And I, and you know if Jake Sanderson's available at ten for Winnipeg, I think that's a dream come true for them to bring in a defenseman of his quality. I doubt he slips down there, but having you know right there, you've kind of fulfilled that need, that need you're looking to maybe trade a guy like Patrick Liner and Nick Aylers for. You bring in a guy like Jake Sanderson, maybe, you know, he can't step into the lineup right away, but you've got a couple years before, you know, you get him in the lineup and you've added that, you know, solidified top four potential top two pairing defenseman. Or if a guy like Alexander Holtz is available at ten and you're Winnipeg and you just can't pass up on potentially the best player available at that spot, does that then give you you know the license to go to go out and trade a player like Patrick Line, If you feel like Alexander Holtz can come into your team and do exactly what Patrick Line was giving you, potentially with more benefit on other areas of the game, on the defensive side of the game, playmaking, whatever you want to have it there. You know, I th- I think for me that will kind of paint the picture of what Winnipeg is going to do when it comes to trading Line or, or looking to trade somebody else.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think looking at you know what they do with the 10 pick is is a great point because they they are going to have a lot of options and they are going to be able to see you know what's available i mean you know again p- teams are going to maybe want to trade up they can you know use that to replace Patrick Liney and then go out and get the best deal they can for Patrick Liney i think i think one of the things that we we kind of see every time you know and i don't think it's often that players of this caliber get mentioned but like when they do like and even lesser players, like every GM wants to win every trade, you know, like the only time, (coughs) excuse me, the only time you ever see like hockey trades is when it's like Yuri Sakach and it's just like, I mean, he's fine, but he's not great. And we think, you know, we can get somebody else to do basically what he's doing. You know what I mean? Or like Devin short for Sonny Milano, like they never make trades that make so much sense for both sides. Like, the number of times you get a Brian Johansson for Seth Jones trade is so small. And there are teams out there that need goal scorers that have, you know, players available. Like uh, Matias Ekholm, like he's about to be a free agent soon. He's not making very much money. Like, you know, Nashville predators have huge issues uh, as far as, you know, actually scoring the, the amount of goals that they need to score to, to really be consistent. Like it's kind of a joke, that, like, every time they get one of their elite players, they turn into a middle six center. Like, it's just, you know, Kyle Turris went there and died. Like, Ryan Johansson's been fine, and Matt Duchesne has been fine, but neither of them have had the kind of impact that the team and David Poyle were hoping they would have. So, you know, I think I think Patrick Laine should be available, because I don't think anybody shouldn't be. But I think he won't get traded unless it's an offer that Kevin Jevoldayoff feels he absolutely wins. And there aren't a lot of GMs who are going to be fine losing a trade to get a 22-year-old that only scores.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. I, I mean, we'll wrap this up with, with kind of this question here. If if you're the Ducks or, you know, as a Ducks fan, if you had to give up, you know, to say six overall pick or, or Hampus Lindholm or you know, Trevor Zegris, any one of those three assets, are, there, are any one of those, are you comfortable giving that up? Like if you had to give up six overall to get line A, or if you had to give Hampus Lindholm to get line A, or if you had to give Tra- Trevor Zegris to get Patrick line A, which one of those, if any, are you comfortable giving over to Winnipeg?
1: I mean, just based on like timeline, I I think of those three, you have to consider... Hampus Lindholm to be the most reasonable choice. I'm not crazy about trading Hampus Lindholm. I love Champus Lindholm. I think, you know, he's gonna be a very good and very effective defenseman in the league for a long time. Like I don't there's nothing about his game that requires him that there's nothing about his game that should deteriorate as he gets older. You know, he should continue he's a wonderful skater. You know he plays sound positionally. He's not jumping into the rush. He doesn't throw a ton of huge hits or anything like that. There's nothing about his game that won't hold up for ten years. So I think having a guy like him on the roster is hugely important. The problem with that is is that's apparently Camp Fowler with that contract he's on in that fourteen no trade uh, the fourteen trade list. So, you know, I mean, I don't want to give up six and I don't want to give up Zegres, who's you know the best prospect we've had in a long time. And if you're trading for a guy like Line, I don't know that you want to give up the best facilitator that you have, you know. So I think Hampus Lindholm has to be the guy, but I would be willing to give up just about anybody else, Um, you know, at that point. Like the the truly untouchable list on Anaheim is so small just because they're so far away from legitimately contending um, that I think everybody should pretty much be on the table.
2: Yeah, like, it, I I think the untouchable list almost starts and ends at Trevor Zegris. Like, I think you could make an argument that Hampus Lindholm could be included on there, but I don't think he's necessarily untouchable because if you're, you know, we've speculated Line A and Eichel trades, like, if you're going out and getting a player of that of that quality up front, I don't necessarily think that means Hampus Lindholm is untouchable. Now, i do not saying the Ducks should explore trading him. I think he's a huge piece of, of you know, their current team and the future as well, but... I really think the only untouchable piece right now could be Trevor Zegerson and then maybe John Gibson as well. I think you have to kind of throw him in there, um, but he's he's kind of in the same boat a bit as as uh, Hampus Lindholm is. Is you know how long it depends on how long you think this is going to take for the Ducks to get back to being competitive. Like you don't want to waste the best years of John Gibson's career, and then you get to a point where you know you are a good team, you are competing again, and it's just not the same player that you, know, you had during those times that, that you weren't so good. So it, it, it really is potentially a one two three three person list on that untouchable list for the Ducks. Um, pretty much everybody in the chat is here to talk about the draft and where the Ducks are going to, who they're going to draft, what's going to happen. Um, we'll start on kind of the trade side of that because Elliot Friedman put out his 31 Thoughts article, uh, I think it was a couple days now, where one of the points was just a simple sentence on the Ducks, and it said that the Anaheim Ducks were not averse to trading down from six overall. There was no explanation. There was no other information on there. It was just simply one sentence that kind of threw Ducks Twitter and, and Ducks fans kind of for a loop there. Uh, Eric Stevens put out an article where he kind of mocked up five different trades uh, that the Ducks could move the number six pick for. We're going to quickly go through some of these and uh, get your thoughts on these, and and see if uh, if this is something you'd move the sixth overall pick. Ironically enough, the first one involves Patrick Line. and mm-hmm. it was the number six pick, Josh Manson, and a twenty twenty one first to Winnipeg for Patrick Line. Just Patrick Line, nothing else.
1: Yeah, man that
2: that one hurts.
1: Like I just, I don't <laughs>
0: <laughs> like
1: I, you know I I would be fine giving up the twenty twenty one round first. Uh, the 21, sorry, the 2021 first rounder. I would be fine giving up Josh Manson as much as I absolutely adore that man. Um, you know, I, I would very, I would try very hard not to give up the six pick, but it's not a guarantee that even at six, and even with how good you know the top half of this draft is, that you're going to get someone who has the kind of potential that Patrick lining has. So I think you have to very seriously consider that trade, especially because Lindholm's not in it. Yeah. Um, Zegres isn't in it. So you at least have two players that you are hoping to make an impact sooner than later. Well, I mean just Zegris making an impact sooner than later. Hampus Lindholm's just he's good now. You know, so you know, and again, like Patrick Liney's twenty two years old. So he would be his prime puts him only a couple years ahead of Trevor's Egress. So It's, I don't know, I I would hate to give up the six pick to do it, but I think you have to really strongly consider it unless somebody falls into your lap at six, but that's not a trade you're making when you're on the board because Winnipeg is going to want, you know, I mean, I know in the NBA you see this a lot where teams will pick for the team they're trading with, Yeah, uh, but I don't think that happens as often in the
2: NHL. Yeah, I don't remember a time when, when that's happened in the NHL. And, you know, honestly, for for me, the, the kind of wrench in, in this whole trade is the 2021 first-rounder because, you know, yes, the Ducks are a better team up front with Patrick Lina, there's no question, but you take Josh Manson out of that blue line and you don't have any additions there. And, you know, free agency, one, isn't looking too great for the crop of defensemen who are available, and two, you're not going to attract the big fish, a guy like Alex Petrangelo or something like that to come out and play for, for this Ducks team as they're currently kind of put together at this point. So you know, that 2021 first-rounder could be anything. You know, it likely is another top-ten pick, could be potentially a top-five pick, depending on, you know, how bad the Ducks are next year. That That's kind of the, the scary point for me. And, and, of course, I don't want to trade the sixth overall pick because I've you know i watched a lot of these guys. You kind of start falling in love with some of the prospects at the top half of this draft. Uh, but you you forget that Patrick Linea is such an exceptional talent and was taken second overall in his own right in, in that draft as well. And it, it still is a quality player uh, at the NHL level, but that just the the uncertainty of what that 2021 first rounder could be just, just makes me nauseous of, of it being, you know, a first or second or third overall pick next year. And you're missing out on potentially drafting, you know, one of the top defensemen that are available uh, at the, at the top half of, of next year's draft. Like it's, forward heavy to say the least in this year's top 10 and you know arguably the nine of the top 10 prospects are forwards but next year it, it basically flips where you know seven of the top 10 next year are defensemen. you know if you're the ducks and, and you don't take drysdale this year and if you move and you pass on on that six overall pick that was your best shot at, at going out and getting you know a a headlining defenseman for your future
1: yeah i mean i I hadn't actually thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense because when you're trading a a future first rounder, that's obviously pre lottery. And, you know, unless the ducks make the playoffs next year, which I don't think is entirely out of the question, just given that, uh, let me say this. If you trade for a player like Patrick Line, who is an impact player, there is a world in which, you know, he scores power play goals, takes some of the pressure off some of the other players on the team. And they, they kind of rebound having someone else. You know, maybe he revitalizes Getzloff. I think Aaron Stevens mentioned that in his article. You know, there's a world where in a Pacific division that's not great, they could sneak into the playoffs. And so then maybe it's not so bad. You're looking at, you know, 16, 17, you know, 18, you know what I mean? Like that late teens pick. Yeah. But the idea of trading it for him and giving up, you know, one of your better defensemen especially if it is Hampus Lindholm and then losing the pick that you could then use to replace him that that does
2: hurt a little bit
1: that's a that's a really good point i hadn't thought about it that way
2: yeah garrett, um, garrett brings up a good point in the chat here too that i didn't even think about is uh potentially just making that 2021 pick lottery protected and and that you know you do run the risk of of kind of what the San Jose Sharks did where they don't have that fifth overall pick this year actually i think their pick ended up being the third overall pick yeah. That you know you run that risk of, of you know being better than you thought or being worse than you thought you were going to be and in, in, you know that that unprotected pick ends up coming to bite you later down the road. But if you're the Ducks, I think that's the only way you you get this done is you make sure that that at least that 2021 pick is is lottery protected so that if you did finish, you know outside the playoffs, won the lottery, whatever it is you you know, you have the choice to either just like Ottawa did, to either keep that pick in twenty twenty one or just forego a twenty twenty two unprotected pick uh to the Winnipeg Jets. I think that's the only way you get it done because there's no way the Ducks can think that they're going to be for sure competitive next year and make the playoffs. There's no way you can look at, you know, the roster that they have constructed this year and what potentially could be the roster next year and say, you know, Trevor Zegras is going to be the difference to to take a, to a playoff spot, or, or Trevor Zegras plus Patrick Lane minus Josh Manth- Manson is enough to you know make a push for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but like I think that's really where the Silverberg and the Fowler and the Henrique extensions kind of hurt you. You know, if those guys were on either shorter deals or you know, not quite as much money you could move one of those guys to start replacing that pick. So maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable about moving on from a 2021 first pick, or you could put one of those, um, one of them in this trade and try to use that to make up for taking a first rounder out of it. But nobody wants Henry to get almost $6 million for like four more years. You know, I just don't, there's nothing about that deal that's going to be attractive to a team who's trying to contend, especially since he's already 30. Um, you know Cam Fowler maybe, but Cam Fowler has uh, the fourteen trade list. Like if he doesn't want to go anywhere, he's pretty much not going to go anywhere. I would imagine that his fourteen trade list is four teams with no cap room, just yep. because then he completely is in control. You know I don't I don't think he's putting Ottawa on his fourteen trade list. You know, um, so I just think, you know, we talked about this last time. Bob Murray's kind of fighting himself at every turn, and he's kind of backed himself into a corner where. He can't necessarily make some of the moves that would support moves he may want to make now.
2: Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, Eric Stevens goes on and enlists mm-hmm. lists five different trades. Here. There's there's only one other one I really want to cover. Uh, you know the, the other three where well, there's one with Toronto that involved the sixth overall pick and Josh Manson plus for William Nylander and the Leafs' fifteenth overall. Uh, there was a one to Carolina. That was our six uh, for Carolina's thirteenth and Jake Bean, uh, and then another one which was our six to Florida for their number twelve, a twenty twenty third, and Owen Tippett. But the one I want to get to is the one we chatted about in the Hockey Rider Slack chat the other day, and and where we're kind of going on about a, a little bit was the one with the Minnesota Wild, where it was the number six pick, a our second round pick in this year, so number thirty six. And either Eric Branson or Josh Manson, uh, as Eric Steven puts it here, for Matt Dumba and in uh, the Wilds' number nine pick. Yeah, I got to be honest. If that trade's on the table, I almost make it every time. I
1: I, I don't. I think the player you're going to get at nine is really good, and I think having a player like Matt Dumba who can create goals from you from the back end you know i think he scored like double digit goals almost every year of his career so far you know they, the, the ducks just don't have anybody like that having a guy that can legitimately be a goal threat you know uh from the back end would be huge and he's only like 26 years old so you're not um you're not getting older you know you're getting a little bit more expensive and maybe you know that 36 pick you can get someone who can be an impact player you know based on what your scouts say and things like that but as much as I love Josh Manson, I you know if I could, I would make it with Eric Branson and I would give up another pick to make it Eric Goodbranson. But even if it's six thirty-six and Josh Manson, I I think I'd take that trade every time.
2: Yeah, it, it's no, I'm not averse to going from six to nine because I think there is a, a clear top nine in this draft. I know a lot of people think there there is a top twelve, and and there can be an argument made there. But I think when you look at you know a clear top three of Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzel. And then you've got another six here of, of Rossi, Raymond, Holtz, Drysdale, Perfetti. Like you've you're not really missing out too much, and especially if you're the Ducks. And and from what you know, we've heard from Martin Madden. And we'll get to some comments in a little bit here. Is that they kind of value some of these guys the same in that four to twelve range, where there's there's not too much difference in terms of what they perceive as a talent level. So if you're going back from from six to nine, I, I don't hate that. And and then really if the sweetener to move from a Josh Manson to a Matt Dumba is 36 overall. Like I'll take that. Like I know every year when we move into the draft, you know, you start valuing that early second round pick a lot more, especially in in a deep draft like this. And you look at it, you know, three years down the road and it's a Jacob Larson or an Antoine Morand and, you know, these guys haven't made the NHL yet, so it, it, it's tough to look at it. When I look at it now, I, I value that second round pick a lot higher than I probably will, depending on who that player will be down the road. So if that's the cost it, it takes to upgrade from Josh Manson to to Matt Dumbo, especially if it, if it was Eric Branson, I, I think you you kind of walk away with that uh, as quick as you can get it off the get off the phone with uh, with the Wild with Bill Guerin, right? So I uh, I, I would take that. No 100 percent if it was Eric good Branson maybe a little you know a little bit of a, an argument if it's Josh Manson but I still think that's a that's a win for the ducks and you're not falling outside the top ten I mean you're drafted at the same spot you drafted last year and look what happened last year
1: right and that's the thing you know as as much as there seems to be from the public lists right this consensus of a top three and a a top nine to a top twelve thereafter like I think there's always a chance that somebody galaxy brains and takes someone, you know, I don't want to call Steve Eisman you know, an idiot or anything like that. He's clearly done a great job. Like nobody had more insider at four and he took him because that was his guy. And there's always a chance that that can happen. So then that creates a domino effect. And now you've got other guys falling and maybe the guy that you wanted at six is somehow still available there at nine. So now you traded back, you got, you upgraded your defense, um, and you're going to get the same guy you wanted anyways. So I don't, I just don't think, you know, 36 is, you know, I think your point about overvaluing the second round picks is true. I think the reason, you know, everybody says, Oh, it's almost as good as a first. It's like, yeah, but almost, you know, the trick there is using that perceived value to make a trade. You know, I think an early second is almost more valuable as an unknown asset than it is as a tangible pick, you know, and, You know, John Gibson, I think, or, uh, yeah, I think John Gibson, you know, was an early second from uh, one of those trades. So, like, I I get that you can get good players there, and, you know, Braden Point was taken in the third round and all that kind of stuff. But, like, there's a reason that first-round picks are the the ones that people want the most. So, if you can give up 36 and get an impact player who's still, like I said, only 26 years old, like, I, I think you have to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, for every for every John Gibson and Braden Point, there's you know an Antoine Morand, like I mentioned, and not to hate on Antoine Morand, it's just taken you know high second taken before Maxim Comtois, and I don't think that you know I think the Ducks should be first to say things haven't panned out as is what they expected for for Antoine Morand. So that pick at the time, it was the Ducks' first pick in that draft. They didn't have a first round pick in that draft they valued that pretty highly. And I think the value of that pick was as high it was ever going to get before they took Antoine Moran with that pick. And, and of course, if, if they had taken, you know, somebody else, if they had taken, you know, let's just say Braden Point. I know he didn't go in that draft. But if they had taken Brayden Point, of course you hit a home run at that spot. But that's the, the risk you run with, you know, outside the first round. And every, you know, every every round goes by, there's a less chance you're going to draft an impactful NHL player. So, at that point, if that's the price to kind of upgrade and, and add a, a younger, kind of better fit to your blue line in Matt Dumba I think you, you have to take it. Um, last thing I want to kind of kind of tie off here is just a, about trading the the six overall pick in general. And it starts with a quote uh, from Martin Madden uh, that was in a recent article that Eric Stevens interviewed him in. Uh, they were just kind of talking about if the Ducks were tied to keeping that six overall pick, or if they were open to trading to it. And uh, Madden had this to say, he's, uh, they're, they're not that much tied to it, to be honest, and it depends who's still there. That top 12 is attractive from start to finish. If we think we can maximize it by moving up or moving down, we will. I don't think we're married to six at all, which, kind of gives you an insight into what they're looking at and, and, and Martin Madden is usually pretty candid about you know not necessarily the names of the players they're looking at but the range of, of kind of talent he did that last year with I think he said it was a I think he said it was a top 12 last year as well in terms of talent level and Trevor Zegers fell to them there I think you know up until the moment they make that selection I think they're going to be open to at least listening to discussions on the six overall pick and you know a lot of it depends who goes where and you know I'm sure last year they were listening to uh, discussions on nine until Detroit took cider at uh, at four, and the Ducks thought that a player like Trevor Zegers could fall to them. So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not averse to trading number six. Um, it just depends on the return. Like I don't want to drop outside the top ten.
1: Yeah, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before you know we went live here, and I I, I think it's entirely dependent on um, the return. You know, I I'm not. I can't, like, there's no world in which dropping outside of maybe 12 or 13 is really worth it. You know, like, I made a joke earlier about, uh, you know, the idea of trading down to 14 and then taking Braden Schneider. Like, that's stupid. That's a terrible idea. But trading down to 10 and taking Anton Lindell, like, I don't think that's a bad trade. Um, you know, or a guy like Jack Quinn, who maybe isn't as much, he, he's not as much of a pure goal scorer as, say, Alexander Holtz, but, like, he's still proven that he can score goals you know and you pick up extra value maybe you pick up another second or you pick up you know a prospect that maybe you're higher on than that organization is or something like that like i i'm generally i like the idea of trading down i think the idea of maximizing and compounding value is good i think the tricky part here is is that you have the six pick and a 12-man draft and that's where it gets dicey uh if you're not a hundred percent sure you're still going to get a almost a better player than who's being taken. It's hard to justify, especially since we know management doesn't want to be in this range for very long. So maybe next year, you know, we're, we're expecting it to be another top 10 pick, but the year after that, they might, they might think that they're a playoff team. And if that's the case, then you have to plan accordingly with the idea of being in that, you know, twenties and, so, it, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm kind of repeating myself, but I do think it's just it's entirely about the return. And if you can maximize that return, then I think you have to really look at it. But you have to be really sure, especially in this draft, that you're getting legitimate value.
2: Yeah, and, and I'd have to think any trade that would be executed involving the sixth overall pick is probably made on Tuesday, on draft day. I think you probably have the framework worked out of maybe a couple trades and it all depends on who goes where. Like I think if, you know, Detroit or anybody or Ottawa kind of swings for the fences and, and goes off the board. And, and let's say a player like Jake Sanderson or, or Askarov goes in the top five, if you're the ducks at that point, and, and maybe you didn't value those guys as high. And you're looking at, you know, Holtz, serasio Lindell. And, and the fact that now they're going to fall even further because some of these guys moved up the board. I, I think that's possibly when you pull the trigger, on moving that six overall pick and, and kinda of going out and, and maybe dropping down to whatever it is, eight, nine, ten, and taking advantage of a team below you like New Jersey or Buffalo or, you know, Minnesota or Winnipeg that is really high on, on whoever it is. Let's say, you know, Lucas Raymond is not your guy at six, although he probably should be for Anaheim, but if he's if he's not your guy at six and, you know, you see him falling and he's New Jersey's guy or he's Buffalo's guy and, you know, they're gonna give you their pick and their second, one of their second round picks to move up, you know, one spot or two spots. If you're Anaheim, you you probably are, you hop on board and you take that. Especially if, if he's not your guy, right? We, you know, we, we don't know what Martin Madden and, and his scouting staff's draft board looks like, who's where, you know, who they value higher than other guys. But I, I think that is, you know, if we do see that pick get moved, I, I would have to think it's executed, you know, almost right before they make that pick.
1: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a uh, that's made when you're on the clock. Um, You know, I mean, I you know, you mentioned Buffalo. I think it'd be really interesting if, you know, and I don't know that they would do this, but, you know, if they said eight and, you know, Henry Yokoharju for six, like, I think you have to take that deal because if it is an Askarov or a Sanderson, or both theoretically that goes in that top five that pushes everybody back. So you've still got a chance at a Rossi or a Holtz or a Raymond or a Perfetti, you know, or maybe even a Dreesdale, depending on how it all plays out. Like you've still got a chance at a guy that maybe you thought was a top five pick and you're picking up something else in the process. So but yeah, that's going to be made with them on the clock, and that's going to be one of those things where you know where we're going to be watching the timer, and it's going to hit 30 seconds, and then Batman will say he's got a trade to announce or whatever. So um, you know, I do think you're right that I think there are you know there have been discussions, and there will be a lot of framework of deals that may or may not you know be on the table for different teams, and I think Anaheim will certainly be in the middle of that somewhat, especially if they have made it so public that they're willing to trade down. Um, But I I don't think that'll happen before, you know, at the very least, the fourth pick
2: is made. Let's take a quick break here and get a message from one of our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Also, many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $50 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Yeah, yeah, you you gotta see who's going where and kind of assess your, your landscape at that point, and you, know, you don't want to pull the trigger too soon and, and you miss out on you know your top two or top three guys at that spot. We we all basically know that there's a top three in this draft. So really, again, just like last year, it starts at Detroit and what they do and what who they take. And then for Anaheim, of course, uh, another wrench in it is the fact that Ottawa has two picks in the top five and they could do anything with that second pick. You know, there's been rumors that they have been looking at pretty much every forward available, you know, Jake Sanderson at five, Yaroslav Askarov at five. The fact that you know you have that second pick, you really can do whatever you want with it because you've already gotten one of presumably the top three players, especially if you get Byfield at three. You can go out and do whatever you want with that pick and and take whoever you want if it's a defensive and a goaltender, another forward, a winger. Uh, it, Anaheim's in, in that weird spot where you know, you've got a team that notoriously swings for the fences in Detroit, drafting at four and a team with a second, first overall pick. Our second uh, top five pick drafting right in front of you. So, you know, it, it really comes down to the wire for them and waiting until after Ottawa picks and kind of assessing where you are and seeing what's on the table. So they're going to have, you know, a couple minutes to to hopefully put together some trade if, the, if they're looking to go for it. But let's uh, let's move into kind of the main point of the draft, you know, looking at who, who you would like the Ducks or who we'd like the Ducks to take at six overall. Plenty of names available. Obviously, we're going to exclude... Byfield, Lafreniere, and Stutzel, because uh, I think it's a, probably a, a 99% chance that they are the top three for this year's draft. But from there, like, you know, we've mentioned a few of the names already. Cole Perfetti, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, Jamie Driesdale, uh, you know, Marco Rossi, Anton Lindell, Jake Sanderson. Like, there is a significant crop of talent there. Like we mentioned, a top nine, a top 12 available. You know, if, you, if you're picking for anaheim at six and you have your pick of the lot from you know those six or seven guys i mentioned right now Who, who's your kind of go-to guy yeah i i've really become a big uh
1: lucas raymond fan i think what he brings to the table as far as being a you know i think the phrase being a complete player is kind of a little bit loaded because GMs suck and they use different phrases to kind of cover up certain things. But I, I do think he's the guy, you know, he has a uh, a 200-foot game, as it were. But, like, in the offensive end, he can do a little bit of everything. He's got a good shot. He makes good passes. He can read the game. You know, he's not someone who's going to be forcing plays. You know, he can take the shot that's given to him or he can make a pass if you commit too hard. And I think, you know, there's talk about him being uh, – able to run a power play unit and like anon's power play sucks it sucked for you know five six years now like i i know they they had the best power play in the league that one year but i'm still convinced that was a math error um i watched that power play it sucked um you know so i think having a guy like that with trevor zegris we're now you know you because you know the other thing about trevor zegris is that apparently he's got a great shot and he just doesn't use it so you know as much as that's another gets issue if you've got two guys who are just as lethal with the pass as they are with the shot, now you're really cooking. And, you know, I think me and you have talked about this, and the thing for me is Lucas Raymond is a play-driving forward to a degree that you can probably anchor separate lines with him and Zegras, and I think that's huge. I think Anaheim should not get itself stuck in a position where this year's sixth pick is dependent on last year's nine pick to be – effective and that makes me nervous so you know raymond is the guy for me but holtz is still great and if they took holtz in that shot like i'd have no problem with it
2: yeah like the thing about six is you know like if you have three or four guys you know they're gonna get one of those guys like you know if for for me pretty much all year until recently Alexander Holtz has kind of been my guy because I was married to the idea of having you know the best playmaker in the league with potentially one of the best young shooters in the league, and you know I think that's why a lot of a lot of Ducks fans have kind of gravitated to Alexander Holtz. But you know you look at since the restart of the Swedish Hockey League, you know Lucas Raymond's been given more time. He you know barely played over ten minutes a night uh, last year during his draft year, and now you know he's playing top line minutes. He's playing first power play. And he's showing you that you know he can do a lot of the things that people questioned if, that he could do. You know, could he put the puck in the back in net? Does he have you know one of the top five releases and shots in this draft? You no, know, is he you know a quality playmaker, a quality you know line driver outside of the bottom six and. He's really pretty much checked all the boxes so far, so he's kind of moved into my spot. That you know, if he somehow is available there, which I think there is a, a you know a significant possibility. I think it's almost like last year where Trevor Ziegler's kind of fell into your lap at nine. That you know, if Lucas Raymond is there at six, you you take him and you run, and you you, you consider it basically the same as last year with with Zegers falling down to you. Like he is the all-around complete player, and when you look at the way the game is played now and the fact that you know, you need quality play driving forwards, there's a chance that he is, you know, the third best player in this draft. And if he's if he's there at six, you, you got to take him. But, you know, other than that, like, you know, if Alexander Holtz is there, there's an argument there, of course. You know, the Ducks don't have any pure goal scorers, so bringing in a player like Alexander Holtz would, would be great for the organization. You know, Marco Rossi... That uh, is an excellent pick. He's getting a little bit more hype because of the exposure he gets in the OHL and the numbers that he put up. But he still is a great player. And you know, then you look in the back end with with Jamie Dreesdale as well. I, you know, he's probably my number four among those three players um, that I would take at number six. I know a lot of mock drafts have the Ducks taking him at this point, and, and I get the need. You know, outside of Josh Manson. You know what? What? What's the Ducks' next right shot defenseman in the prospect pool? Hunter Drew? Like there, there really isn't. Well, there really is. Not- yeah, there, there's just not. Uh, there's not a lot of depth there. So I understand it. I get it. But man, like you, you can't. I don't think you can pass up on some of these forwards next year. I, you know, a lot of people say you, you can't look at next year's draft mm-hmm. and and make your decisions based off that. But when you have so many quality defensemen that will go in either the top 10 or top 15 next year. I don't think you can ignore that. Like, you have to kind of take that into consideration and look at your team realistically and saying, well, are we going to have another top 15 pick next year? Probably. If you think that Raymond and Holtz and Rossi are on the same level as Jamie Dreisel, that's where those organizational decisions come into play, and I think that's where you kind of have to lean forward and bring one of those guys in and prepare for next year to take a defenseman.
1: Yeah, well, I think the other thing is, you know, uh, I think you have to look, you know, I think you have to look at where Jamie Dreesdale would fall if he was in next year's draft, right? If he's the sixth best defenseman in next year's draft, but in this one, he's the first defenseman, well, then that kind of solves your question. You take the best forward you can get, and you accept that worst case scenario, you know, you're getting somewhere in the Jamie Drysdale uh, uh you know range with the defenseman that you're going to get with what is likely going to be another top 10 pick. So, you know, I think I don't know like you said how you can not look at next year. You know, I, to me that's just poor that's poor planning, that's poor organizational awareness for you know, planning for the next 6-7 years of what the Ducks franchise is going to look like, what the the team on the ice is going to look like. You know, I I understand that They've been taking a lot of forwards lately, but the problem with that is is a lot of those forwards have been in the latter half of the draft, and none of them have the top six upside really that, you know, or even first-line upside that these guys like Raymond and Holtz and even Rossi has. You know, like, I've heard some concerns about Rossi's mix of size and not a great skater that makes him, I think, questionable. I, I do think he's the one of the four I'm the shakiest on just because he doesn't seem to be a great skater and if you're not a great skater i think being listed at 59 is problematic you know i mean you can fight through checks and you know have the will all you want but if you can't get to your spot and when you're there you can't fight guys off then i don't know how effective you can ultimately be so i think i would take dreisdale ahead of rossi but if rossi has you know first line center upside and now you've got two guys who can be first-line centers. You, I think you got to swing for it. You know, I don't think that's 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 a bad pick. I think you have to look at next year and look at this year and look at the fact that, as much as you do have forwards, you lack elite forward talent, and that needs to be a thing that you fix.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, I've I've softened on the whole needing a right-shot defenseman in this draft or, or, immediately kind of outlook because just look at exhibit a, the team who just won the Stanley cup, look at their, arguably their top three defensemen are Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev, Ryan McDonough. They're all left shot defensemen. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, they brought in Shattenkirk. Yeah. I think they, they brought him in via trade or maybe they signed him. I can't exactly remember. I know the ducks were in on it, but I, I think it was they signed. A, he was the, out. Yeah. The Rangers. Right. Okay. So they brought him in. They signed him. You know, Serenak is is a good defenseman, but you know he's not an, an elite defenseman on that team. And then Zach Bogosian, they brought in after he got, I think, bought out and his contract, terminated from the Buffalo Sabres. Like, not to say that you know the Lightning are the gold standard and follow their blueprint to a T, but I don't necessarily think you you need three left shot defensemen, three right shot defensemen anymore and your number one and number two have to be a lefty and a righty I don't necessarily think you have to go down that path anymore and really shouldn't be kind of your selling point on, on taking Jamie Dreisels because he's a right shot defenseman and they're hard to come by in this league like the the lightning proved that you can get two good right shot defensemen from you know non-traditional ways you know from a, a buyout and signing him and and from you know picking up a guy near the trade deadline who nobody else wanted and turns into a valuable piece of your organization it it, it shouldn't be why you take a guy and, and and I guess the same kind of goes you know my concerns for, for Marco Rossi as well is you know how many five nine centers do we have in the NHL and and, and I don't like to pick on on size anymore because I think the NHL is, is moving in a direction where you know smaller guys can succeed in in positions they're not normally used to, I mean, just look at defense right now with guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. But I don't, like, I I just don't, I can't see him being a number one kind of two way center at five foot nine. It, as as big as stocky as thick as he is, as everybody's saying, you know, he's a, he's five nine, but he's one hundred ninety. He's gonna play it like one hundred ninety five. I get it. He's not a typical five foot nine forward, but I can't see this guy being down the middle because there is just really no nobody to base it off of. There is no elite five, you know, elite centers under really five foot ten in the NHL that you can look to and say this is his career, proje- uh, you know, trajectory. This is what he's going to kind of become, and you know, maybe he's the trailblazer in that category. But I don't want—I don't think I want to take a risk on, you know, Marco Rossi being the first and in, in, you know only five foot nine superstar center in the NHL.
1: Yeah, I. so two things. One, I think your point about the Lightning is a great point as far as getting the best defenseman you can have and you know, playing a guy on his offside isn't the worst thing in the world. But the reason they were able to do that is because they had four lines that were really good. You know what I mean? Like They had incredibly uh, high-skilled forwards that were able to play a style hockey that made it, you know, much less of an imperative that, you know, you have guys who are perfectly able to cleanly take it off the boards. Like you've just, you know, when you have the best players you can have, you can figure the rest of it out. You can design your system around the talent that you have. And what you need to do is get talent, you know? So I think, like you said, like taking a right-handed defenseman because he's a right-handed defenseman is, is flawed logic. I think if you need a right defenseman and you trade for a right defenseman, that's very different. But when you have, you know, Four or five guys who all have really high upside, and you take maybe one of the guys in the back half just because of the way he holds his stick. I think you're setting yourself up to fail. And you know, the, like you said about Rossi, I think the five foot nine thing is a problem. You know, again, Braden Point's five foot ten. You know, and you know, with sports heights, like I always just assume they're an inch and a half to two inches shorter than whatever they're listed at. But Braden Point can skate. And if the biggest concern outside of his height is that Rossi's not a great skater, then I don't know how he's going to make up for that, right? Because big guys can make up for not being great skaters by using their body. And great skaters can make up for not being very big by using their speed and their quickness. If you don't have either of those things, I don't know how you're going to be effective at the next level. I don't know how you're going to get to your spots and how you're going to stay there. And that, you know, is really what makes me the most nervous about Rossi is he's deficient in two things. You know, if he's just going to stand there and, and make passes and make shots, that's great. But, like, that's not the way it works. It's a fluid sport. You know, it's not like he's some statue center in the NBA where you're just like, all right, just go sit on the block. We're going to throw you, you know, passes in and you're going to turn around and dunk it. Like, that's just not the way that it works. So I'm, I understand that people are very excited about Rossi and that he's got a lot of the you know, intangibles as far as like having a high motor and a high work ethic and things like that, you know, and maybe you can improve his skating, but I would be nervous about taking him at six when I think there will be better players or players with less serious concerns, at least, you know, I, I think you can see the way in which he fails. I don't know that short of it, just not working out, you can see how Raymond or, Holtz fail. Like these guys should be effective at at the NHL level. Um because there doesn't seem to be any obvious flaws in their game that you can look at and go, This is why they didn't make it. Rossi's got two things, and that's not great for a top ten pick.
2: Yeah, and and for me too, like I, I think Rossi probably moves to the wing at the NHL level, and that's likely where he's successful. But I I just can't be convinced that you know, obviously Rossi was you know a play driver on that team. It was an exceptional year. You know, he was by far you know the best player in the OHL. But you can't convince me that if you plugged in Cole Brevetti in, in that same pos- position as Marco Rossi, that he wouldn't put up similar, if not better, numbers. Or if you put Lucas Raymond on that team and gave him the minutes and the opportunities that Rossi got with that Ottawa sixty-seven teams, and and the list goes on. You know, you know Alexander Holtziv if you plugged him in with where Jack Quinn was, is is he going to score 70 goals in the OHL, right? Like, you know, you can make these comparisons all day long, but I I generally think, like, if you put Perfetti where Rossi was, I think he probably has the same type of year, and then Perfetti's the one that's getting kind of hyped up and talked about because he led the league in scoring. And, And this is the thing about prospects that end up just blowing everybody out of the water in terms of point production, whether it's in their draft year or not, the hype just gets blown out of proportion. And yes, Rossi is a top 10 talent by, by no question, but I think the question marks around him kind of get overlooked because of the season he put up. Like, let's not forget, I know it wasn't his draft year, but his draft plus one year for Sam Steele, he blew mm-hmm. everybody out of the water. He put up like 130-plus points in the WHL, and everybody was talking about him. Ducks fans thought he was going to be a number one center in the NHL. That, you know We had the best prospect you know, one of the top 10 prospects out of any pro- any team uh, in, in the league. And, and then, you know, not, not saying things went south, just things came back down to earth for Sam Steele in terms of his projection and his potential. And I think Marco Rossi is, is a better player than Sam Steele was going into the draft, obviously, by looking at where he's projected. But I think the hype of the production kind of you start overlooking the you know the the downsides and and the red flags that you know a, a smaller guy can't you know isn't the best skater in the draft or you know is he what is his long term future at center you start to kind of o- overlook some of those things because of the year he had on the team he was playing for
1: yeah you know and I think if you find yourself in a position where Marco Rossi is available and he is having that kind of hype, maybe that's where you start looking at trading down right. Maybe somebody wants to jump up from 8, 9, or 10 and take Marco Rossi, and you aren't as high on him, and you think you can get value and trade back and pick up maybe one of Raymond or Holtz or Drysdale because they're still going to be there at that pick. You know, I think that's the thing, but I, I do think you need to take a total picture of a prospect. You know, it's not just about how good they were at 17. It's about how good are they going to be at 23 and 24. Um, and if you think... You can develop Rossi and work with him to make him an elite one center, and he's got all the other things that you can't fix. Then that's fair. I'm I'm open to that argument, but if it's just he had a phenomenal year in the OHL and you're just biting really hard on that bait, that's not great, you know. And I think, you know, Martin Madden's a smart guy. He seems to do a good job. Like you know, not every pans out, so I don't want to say. That him, you know, any of the Ducks' shortcomings in the last few years, as far as players uh, reaching their potential, is necessarily on him inherently. But I I think that it's worth trusting in those guys, and I think if if Martin Man says Marco Rossi is a number one center, then I'm I'm willing to be open to it. But I I would be apprehensive myself about making that pick.
2: Yeah. So let's assume. Just for the sake of it, the Ducks take a forward at six overall. They've got two two pretty enticing picks after that at twenty seven and thirty six. Do you do you feel inclined to take a defenseman if you're Anaheim after you've taken a forward at six? Do you do you feel like with one of those picks you have to go out and get a defenseman, even if it's maybe not the best player available on your board?
1: No, I don't. I don't think.
2: I don't think you should ever feel
1: that you have to take a player at any position. I don't think, you know, un- unless it's a number one center or a number one defenseman, I don't think that you should just take them to fill a hole, right? Cause every team can use a number one defenseman and every team can use a number one center, but you get those guys in the top five. You don't get those guys, uh, you know, at like 27 and 36. So at that point, I think you need to take the best player available and, You know, there are other ways to bring talent into your team. And if, you know, at the end of the draft, you look around and you you have a shortage of defensemen, then you go out and fix that. Sign undrafted free agents, you know, go to the college teams or, you know, plan ahead for the draft next year when it's all defensemen. You know, I don't think you need to feel compelled to take a position just because you haven't yet. I think that's bad logic.
2: Yeah, I, I I. Would hope they would take a defenseman if he was the best player available on the board. Now, there are going to be some good defensemen available kind of around that 27 to 36 range. But you know, we've talked about a top three, a top 12. And I think once you kind of get outside that top 20, like really from 20 to almost 45 this year, it, like some of these guys could go anywhere in that range, a guy where, you know, some teams think is a middle second round pick could squeak into the first round for some teams just kind of based off the the rankings that we've seen so far. Um, Now looking at, I guess we'll start with number 27. Are there any guys that you, you know, in in looking at some of the prospects and and some of the guys that could be available around that spot, are are there a couple guys that you're looking at and you're saying, man, I hope that guy falls down and is available at, at that spot?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think for me that 27 spots really interesting. Cause like you said, that 20 to 40 range, pretty much anything can happen and, you know, guys can fall and guys cannot like, you know, I think Corey Pronman has Jeremy Poirier as his like 27th or 29th ranked player. But in his full mock draft, he goes 41 because of some of the concerns about his style of play. Like, what he can do well is really great but teams are going to be nervous about taking him because of some of the warts you know so i think that's a perfect example of how things can get a little weird so i think for me like you know and again like i'm i'm kind of an old school hockey guy like if braden schneider's there you take him but hendrik lapierre i think is the other guy i don't think he's going to fall that far i don't think uh the uh, concussion injury concerns are going to let him fall that far I think teams are going to see that he's probably a top 10 talent and they're going to take him before he gets there. But I think he would be the first guy I would take if he was available. And after that, Poirier and Braden Schneider, I think would be great. You know, Braden Schneider is the type of defenseman Anaheim likes, and that's, you know, good value, especially since there's rumors he could sneak into the top, you know, top 20 and go somewhere between 15 and 20. You know, there's a lot of talk about Um, Toronto taking him at 15 just because they need, they believe that physical right-handed shot defenseman. So those are, those I think are the three guys for me.
2: As much as I'd love them to trade that pick and move into uh, the top 20 with the second pick. I I doubt, uh, I doubt it happens. But if, if you're, if they're staying at 27, like I, I like that logic around Hendricks Lapierre. Like this guy was a consensus top 10, before he missed pretty much all of his draft year. Like, he was a guy who people thought maybe could sneak into the top five. And I think he could have fallen to 27 if the QMJHL season didn't start a couple weeks ago and they had some uh, preseason games to watch him because him and Dawson Mercer with uh, Shikudemi in the QMJHL have just been tearing up you know, preseason and the start of the season. I think his first game, uh, Lapierre had two goals and two assists and in preseason he led the entire QMJHL in scoring like teams are starting to see that yeah he has an injury history but if he can stay healthy and and, and obviously it hasn't affected him this far so as long as this guy stays healthy he still is probably a top 15 talent in this draft so you know not good news for the ducks cuz he could have fallen if they didn't have that extra playing time that um, you know some prospects are benefiting from right now especially the the european prospects but as well as guys like Jeremy Poirier and, and Hendricks Lapierre that are playing in the queue right now. But you know, he would probably be close to the top of my list for guys available. Uh if if we're looking at, you know, potentially defensemen, I think a guy who the ducks would be high on is William Willinder. They love their Swedish defensemen. It's a big mm-hmm. kid. Left shot, but I don't think they're too worried about that. And he, he kind of fits the mold of the defenseman the Ducks look at with those late first round picks when we look at at guys, they've drafted in the past. Uh, another Swedish defenseman in Helga Granz, who is a right shot defenseman, is a kind of a bit different from what the Ducks have been drafting in the past in terms of kind of a smaller, offensive minded defenseman. I think he's only like five nine or five ten. But as we've seen, you know, lately with uh, with smaller defensemen, it's it's kind of started to not become as much of an issue for teams taking them. Not sure if the Ducks are at that point yet, where you know they feel comfortable. Maybe using that second first on a guy like that, it could be the um, the second round pick, which is only nine picks later that they go out and take uh, and take a guy like that. But they just they have so many options, which I think is, is such an intriguing you know point to to look at for that number twenty seven pick. Where there's you know there's goal scores, there's you know, playmaking centers, there's big physical defensemen, there's you know, offensive minded defensemen who could be available at that spot. Where you know depending on the ranking you look at, you know. Any one of these those guys could be the best player available on the Ducks list.
1: Yeah. So I actually want to ask you a question. Would you so let's say Toronto's on the clock and you call Dubas, would you trade twenty seven and thirty-six for fifteen?
2: I yeah, I think I think I would. I think it, it might depend on, on who's available there. But when you look at like potential names like you mentioned Braden Schneider, or oh, Rodion Amirov or Dawson Mercer, or Noel Gunler or Dylan Holloway, like they are just that much better than I think the crop of players you could get at twenty seven, uh, or at least just their their potential ceiling is higher than right. and the the warts and the red flags are aren't as prevalent on on some of those guys. So I would, I think, I think you know the player you're getting at that point. Like I don't think the Ducks really need. Quantity at this point in time, especially in forward prospects, they really need quality prospects, players that are going to jump into their top six and be contributors. Defensemen that are bona fide top four defensemen, and that's their floor. Those are the prospects the Ducks are looking for right now. Like look in the system, you, you've got you know Max Jones, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Benoit Olivier, Gru, just to name a few of the guys. You know Josh Maher. These are all going to be middle six, you know potentially you know four or five defensemen on this team but they need those quality prospects because outside Trevor Ziegleris they don't have any you know you're going to get one at 6 and i think any opportunity you have to move up in in this draft specifically you have to take it and and if you know it's i think the most likely option for the ducks to move up in this draft would be to trade with Toronto at 15 because i think that the leafs are looking to kind of Add some quantity into their system and kind of fill out those depth roles. They've already got the quality up front with Matthews and Tavares and Marner and Nylander. I think they're starting to to kind of look to add to that prospect pool and and have some of those prospects that the Ducks have in terms of middle six contributors and role players and and good you know um, how do I how do I kind of word this like players that fit what they're looking for. I think the Leafs are a team right now. That they might not really have to draft the best player available, but more so the player who fits the need that they're looking for, and it's why so many people think Braden Schneider could be a an option for the Leafs at 15 because he's exactly what they need. And you know, you look at you know potentially a kind of bigger uh, grinder type forward is is another kind of need for the Leafs, and maybe if they feel that they can get you know both of those. At twenty-seven and thirty-six, they pass up on on having that fifteenth overall pick to kind of hit both needs in one draft, rather than having to go and find that player another way. So, I, I think if you're uh, if you're getting a phone call from Dubis on draft day and it's to move up to fifteen for those two picks, I think you have to take it.
1: Okay, I'm going to run another one by you because I love this stuff. This the <laughs> stuff that, that really gets me. Would you trade Raquel in thirty-six for Carolina's thirteen?
2: Oh uh man that one that one's tough. I, I think for me it it depends who's there. Like I said that for the Leafs pick, but man. Ra- Raquel's just such an attractive piece because of the contract he has and the potential that, you know, you put him in the right situation, he can be a, a thirty goal scorer, a fifty to sixty point guy. Uh but you know, honestly, if if a guy like Amirov or, you know, Lindell Somebody like that kind of falls down to thirteen, and uh, and Carolina's calling you and saying, "Well, you know, give us Raquel in twenty-seven, and we'll give you this pick." I think if if you're the Ducks in the situation you're in now, I think you take that because I think you can replace Raquel easier than than I think a lot of people think. I, I, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I think he is highly replaceable in terms of talent and and what he brings to the roster. Um, it's just the contract that makes him so attractive and, and makes me kind of think the Ducks could get a bit more for him. But, yeah, I mean, if a guy like Amirov or, or Lindell or something like that, or even a guy like, you know, I doubt it, but Jake Sanderson or or Yaroslav Askarov even falls to 13, I know the Ducks don't really need a an elite goaltender in the pipeline, but you know, you, you can't really pass on just the the quality of prospect that you'd be getting at that point.
1: See, okay, so you said two things there that really keyed in on you. The first thing I want to ask is, would you do it for LaPierre? If Hendricks is there at 13, would you do 36, the second rounder, and Raquel to take LaPierre at 13, which maybe is a reach since he might fall in the 18s, but knowing what his potential
2: upside is, would you make that trade? That that one's just so tough because Hendricks-LaPierre, I think talent alone is probably... Is definitely a top 15 pick, potentially a top 10 pick, just based off his talent if he had played a full season. The only problem is he didn't play the full season because he was hurt, right? And, and you know, this guy's clearly concussion prone. He's likely going to get one over the span of his NHL career. What's going to happen to him after that next concussion? What type of player is he going to be? Is he going to be able to rebound the same? You know, how many good years are you going to get out of this guy? I think for me, I don't make that that trade if it's him at that spot, and I, you know, I I kind of eat sand if he turns into what you expect him to be, but you, you kind of just associate the risk with that. And you know, we didn't take him there because there's always a chance that he gets one more concussion, he's done, and we moved you know one of our better young players and another pick to take him. And he didn't work out for us. I, I don't think at that point you can take the risk to move up to take him.
1: So here's my
2: thing about that.
1: Ricard Raquel is already 27. And if you're not, if you're taking a pick at six, I think it's worth it to take a big swing on on a player with that kind of upside. right? Because the hope is if you trade Raquel – you're hoping to trade him for a first line at the dead, a first pick a first at the deadline, which means he's going to a playoff team, which means he's back half on top of that. You say I'm trading, you know, a future first or a late first and an early second to move up into the top 15. Like that's the deal that you think about. And so I just, you know, we talked about this last time. Like, I don't think Raquel does any good on a bad ducks team and I think if you can use him to take a swing on somebody that's falling for reasons that aren't talent, I think you have to take a long, hard look at it. The other thing is I am fascinated by the idea of the Ducks trading up back into 15 and taking Askarov and knowing they have Gibson now, and right around the time that Gibson's going to start falling off, they'll be able to bring over Askarov on his ELC. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I I, mean, I would be fully on board with that. Uh you know, one well, that reminds me of one thing because we always talk about the fact that the Ducks never draft Russian players. I think Igor Bobkov in '09 or something was the last Russian born player that they drafted. And it's funny in reading that uh, interview with Martin Madden and Eric Stevens asked him that question like why don't you guys why don't you guys draft <laughs> Russians? And of course the the you know the always the issue with russian players is we don't know when they're going to come over and that came up um but that it just that always kind of you know amazes me with the ducks is like you know we t- i talked about trading up and getting Rodi and amira but would the ducks even do that because yes i think he's a talent that you can go that you should be trading up to get at that point but the ducks are just so averse to bringing in russian players because of that risk factor like Russian players are, are and, and as Martin had said, it's not that they don't like them. They're just be, they take everything into account. They're usually ranked lower than maybe they should be on the Ducks board because of all those things together. So that would make me think that Amirov and Askrov potentially on the Ducks list are outside the top fifteen just because they're accounting for those risk factors and and you know, are they gonna come over, when they're gonna come over, you know, is it gonna be two, three years down the line? Like you look at the Rangers with Shisturkin. No, it panned out for them. He's going to be their goaltender of the future, but it took him like five years to get over here. And you know, the Islanders are still waiting on Ilya Sorokin. And you know, how long did it take uh, Kuznetsov to come over for the Capitals? Like you know, Panarin come, coming over for for the Blackhawks as well. Like all these ones I'm talking about, they worked out in the end. Like they're exceptional players, but it was just the wait that they had to to wait to, for them to come over, right? Like I don't think the Ducks um, take the risk on a Russian player there.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, but I just, the weight to me is the part of it that's almost attractive because I think having the opportunity to say we have John Gibson now, but we're planning for the fact that eventually John Gibson is going to get older and we maybe have the best goalie prospect in 10 years, 15 years. You know, I think I heard uh maybe Cam Robinson it was said he's like the best goalie prospect since maybe Carey Price. It's like, oh, okay, that's not a bad thing to have in your system. And especially with, you know, Lucas uh Dostel in your system too, like I just think I don't know. I just think it's a very interesting thing. I think 100 percent some of the waiting issues are real, and I don't think you can overlook that. And I do think if you are gonna trade Raquel for a top 15 pick, you're probably safer taking someone who can make an impact in two or three years, right? Like a Lundell or a LaPierre or somebody like that. But I, I do think it's very interesting if he really is that quality of a goaltender potentially.
2: Yeah. Uh, because I mean, Spencer Knight last year got kind of the same treatment in this is the best goaltending prospect since Carey Price, maybe not as, kind of glowingly as Askarov has gotten that comparison but those you know that did come up and those quotes did come up in in that you know Spencer Knight is going to be this good and you know now people are saying Askarov is is that much better than Spencer Knight and I I think some team is going to take a swing on him I I honestly don't think Askarov falls outside the top 10 I think there's going to be a team in there you know whether it's you know, New Jersey banking on the fact that they have two other picks in the top twenty, or you know, Minnesota needing a goaltender desperately and and having kind of good success with with Russians in the past and bringing over Kirill Kaprizov. That maybe they go out and, and draft the Russian, or even if it's Nashville at eleven, taking Askarov because Pekarine is basically done uh, for for them as well and trying to get. You know, another goaltender for the future, and a guy who could hopefully step in in a couple of years for them. There's a lot of destinations that could potentially go for Askarov, but I would love the Ducks to jump into the top 15. I, you know, with with both of those picks, I don't know how many teams are willing to kind of move down. In that point, you know, if you're if you're mm-hmm. in Nashville, you don't really need quantity. You're looking to get that star power, and I think if you're in Nashville, you're looking to get that number one center, hopefully at that spot. Whether that's Anton Lindell or whoever they take there, um, you no. Know, if you're, you know, Florida, are you really looking to kind of trade down from that spot when you can bring in a quality defenseman? You no, know, Carolina, maybe. I could. I could see them potentially liking to have extra picks because of how well they draft. That they might be willing to take twenty-seven or thirty-six for thirteen. I don't think the Oilers do it because they're looking for a goal scorer. And then it comes down to Toronto as the only other team who I really think and probably the best fit to take uh, 15 for 27 and 36. I hope it happens on draft day. I really think the Ducks need to get another bona fide top 15 talent in this draft. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can pull it off. Usually the Ducks are the ones trading away picks to get extra picks. (laughs) Yeah, I think... uh... I
1: think the one thing that's interesting about this draft and I kind of, I wrote about this at the hockey writers last month is there are a few teams that fancy themselves being competitive now in that top 15. And I think taking 27 or 36 and strapping it to Ricard Raquel or Josh Manson, you know, or if you can get someone dumb enough, take, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'd put both picks in, uh, adam henrik's pocket and send him out the door if i could to get another top 15 pick um i I think that's the thing about it to me that is the most interesting is that there are a a couple of teams who maybe need more help now than they do in three years you know like i think ricard raquel next to connor david is a great idea i don't know that they would give up the 14th pick for it but if they fall to twenty-seven maybe they can, you know, maybe they can do it because he is on that contract, like you said. He is young enough at 27 years old where he's still got a few good years in front of him. And I I, I do think Connor McDavid and or Leon Dreisaitl are so good, it would not surprise me if Ricard Raquel went off one year and was a 40 goals for. Her. You know, I mean, they turned James Neal into a power play genius. So I think... Um, I think that would be Anaheim's best bet into trading up is moving on from one of their assets, uh, one of their better win now players to try to do that. I don't know that it'll happen because Bob Murray, I think, still thinks his team is closer to contending than it is. But I actually think that is maybe their best bet to get into the, the top 15.
2: Yeah, and honestly, that would be more enticing to me than moving both picks because I would like the Ducks to keep a second-round pick at number 36 to kind of snag one of those, you know, maybe take a reach on a player you think could kind of be better than that spot where you drafted them. The Ducks have started to kind of do that. Braden Tracy was a bit of a reach last year where, you know, he's a bit of an enigma because he was his rookie season in the WHL, and a lot of people, a lot of analytics people liked him a lot, and he was still projected to go somewhere, you know, in the late second round and the Ducks took a swing on him and, and took him with their, their second first round pick. So they've kind of showed that they like to swing on those picks. So I wouldn't mind keeping 36 and then packaging a roster player like an Adam Henrique or Josh Manson or a card Raquel with that number 27 to move into the top 15. I And I think you can take advantage of a lot of teams who think outside of that top 12, it's really a mixed bag from 13 to 40. There are teams that have that thought process. Now, you know, I I, I tend to think that it, it is like a top ten, and then there's another ten kind of in there, and then from twenty to, to forty it, it's kind of where that mixed bag begins. So if you can get anywhere in that top fifteen or twenty, you're getting a better player than you would if you were to stay at twenty-seven or at least a better shot at getting a, an impact player. So you know, I hope they explore it. We always hope every year going into the draft that Ducks are one of those teams that are going to move up or, you know, use their assets to kind of better themselves in the rebuild. But we we've been kind of disappointed so far. And it, it, you know what stings the most is is watching the Kings go out and just do everything right, rebuild yeah. sense. You know, arguably the number one prospect pool in the draft, and every guy who seems to be falling on draft day. Gets taken where the Kings are drafting. You know, last year was, without, was Arthur Kaliev, and I think there was a couple other guys who fell to the Kings. Akil Thomas, I think the year before, was another guy who fell to the first round, and, and the Kings drafted him at 44. So they just, that's what stings a bit more to me is just watching the Kings kind of do everything the right way in terms of rebuild and watching Anaheim just kind of fight with whatever their identity is in terms of a rebuild or a retool.
1: Yeah, I genuinely hate Rob Blake for being as good at this as he is. Like, I really <laughs> – it drives me crazy. He's he's proven to be, you know, a smart and capable guy. I mean, you know, you can take issue with the Drew Doughty signing. You can take issue with the uh, Kovalchuk signing. You know, but Drew Doughty's going to be a king lifer now, and he got him two cups, and he won a Norris. Like, I think Rob Blake of everybody understands that that has value. Um, you know, Kovalchuk, he took a shot and, you know, it didn't work, and you move on. But, you know, getting out from under, uh, you know, Tyler Toffoli and and, uh, Tanner Pearson, getting back Tyler Madden and getting back picks, like, I just don't think it can be undersold how good he is or how open he is to making moves and appreciating where his team actually is. And I think the uh, Todd McClellan hiring was a great choice. You know, that team doesn't have the talent to score goals right now uh, and win games, but as far as the way they're playing, like, they're one of the better teams with the underlying numbers and, you know, the style that they play is sustainable. And he – I really hate Rob Blake right now. He was one of my <laughs> up because my dad's a huge Kings fan. You know, so I got to watch him play a bunch, but, like, it's uh, – yeah, I really hate how good he is at this right now, especially with how deep that prospect pool is.
2: Yeah, uh, they're they're looking good for for the future right now. Obviously, no, we'll be uh, we'll be all kind of tuning in on Tuesday at seven PM to see who the Ducks take. Uh, in terms of kind of broadcasting from our sense that day, potentially might be live for that. I know we were live last year for the Ducks to take Trevor Zegris, which was a lot of fun. Uh, this year, I'm a little bit nervous being live and potentially taking Jamie Drysdale <laughs> or Jake Sanderson and and being disappointed. I already have flashbacks of being live during the uh, uh, what was the draft lottery, and that was a major disappointment watching the Kings jump up to number two. So I'm already a bit worried about that. But we uh, we'll let you guys know. Pro, uh, I guess drafts in two days, so we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we can in terms of plans if we're going to go live. Uh, That does it for the show today. We did have some other topics and some fan questions, but they weren't necessarily draft-focused, so we will get into those on our next show, which should hopefully be on Thursday, kind of recapping, which is hopefully a good draft for the Ducks. Uh, We'll look at some of those questions there. We'll look at who the Ducks picked. Uh, There's some news on David Backus that came out, I think, a couple weeks ago now in terms of his role with the team, uh, and and a few news... um, few updates on on Ducks loaning players out and and some of the prospects and where they're going to start their season until Ducks training camp. But we'll get all to that hopefully on Thursday. And then we also have plans for a show this Sunday. So we're actually back. And (laughs) we are actually live and doing more shows now with the season ramping up. Stephen, thanks for coming on. I know you'll be... Heavily focused on the draft on Tuesday and who the Ducks will take, and I'm sure we're all going to cry about it or, or cheer about it in, in the uh, Slack chat for the hockey writers, too. Yeah, absolutely. And the fun thing is is once the Ducks are
1: off the board at 6, I get to focus on Josh Bell losing his mind because someone <laughs> is going to take
2: Braden <laughs> Schneider at 12, and I'm going to love it. Yep. Oh, yeah. The the mock drafts go out the window on Tuesday oh. uh, when Steve Eiserman steps up to the board and, and takes... <laughs> Hendrix Lapierre at four or something. So can can only imagine how it's going to go that day. It's exciting nonetheless. Uh, we'll be covering it as much as we can. Uh, but on the podcast side, I know me and Steven will be covering a lot of it uh, on the writing side for the Hockey Raiders. So make sure you check it out there. And uh, we'll see you all come Thursday.